with V3 doing more daily volume than V2 on less liquidity. So I would say like V3 has about 3 billion in total value locked. So that's the liquidity locked in the protocol. And it's doing 1 billion in volume approximately every day. Crypto makes no sense at first when you're trying to learn. And you need help when you're barreling down the rabbit hole. The only way out is through. The only way to learn is to do. We're here to guide you. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Anais Sim, and today we're going to be diving deep into Uniswap, the leading decentralized financial protocol. And to do that, we have Sarah Reynolds here with us today. Sarah is an all-around incredible person, and she's also an integrations developer at Uniswap. So I'm super excited to dive deep into Uniswap and also Sarah's work at She256. So thanks so much for coming here today. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay, so to back up for a second, would love to hear more about your background and how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole. Sure. So I studied computer science at UC Berkeley and have been doing kind of software engineering throughout school and basically ever since. But I started my crypto journey actually right after graduating high school. I started working at an internship and they led me to the blockchain team and then eventually led me to join blockchain at Berkeley, which is probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. Essentially, everything I've learned today about crypto blockchain basics was through this organization. And yeah, I think I initially got really excited about crypto because just the thought of a natively digital value exchange, it it really clicked. And at this time, I really didn't understand at all technically the technical background of Ethereum and Bitcoin, but that thought of just native value exchange really clicked. And so I engrossed myself in learning all the technicalities and eventually teaching it at a class we we ran called Blockchain Fundamentals. So this was entirely a student-run course at, at Berkeley. And we talked about everything from hashing and cryptography to consensus mechanisms to privacy solutions. And at this point, I was totally hooked. I knew this was something that would be a constant in my life. And so I started working at various crypto companies throughout my time at Berkeley, eventually created She256 with my co-founders and ended up at Uniswap Labs full-time post-graduation. That's so awesome. And Berkeley is such a crypto hub. I feel like I'm always meeting so many people from Berkeley that are now working in crypto. So if you're listening and you're in high school and interested in getting involved or looking for a grad school, Berkeley is definitely up there. Would love to, first of all, cover the basics about Uniswap. So from a very basic level, what is Swap? And I know that there's a distinction between Swap Protocol versus Uniswap Labs that we can get into. Yeah, the way I like to phrase it is Uniswap Labs invented the Uniswap protocol and continually contributes to its ongoing development. 
And you can think of it like Swap Labs is the Satoshi of the protocol. It's the creator, the inventor, but if labs were to disappear, the protocol would live on and grow organically with the community. And yeah, I think that's in short how a little bit how to describe Uniswap as a whole. So Uniswap is also a leading decentralized exchange within crypto, super well known. Could you describe a bit more what is a decentralized exchange and maybe also shedding a bit li- bit of light there, the difference between a decentralized versus a centralized exchange? Yeah, totally. So yes, the Uniswap protocol is a, you know, what we call a decentralized exchange. And essentially all that really means is the protocol is a series of smart contracts deployed to auto-manage liquidity provided by market makers. And we'll dive into that a little bit more, but this is hence why the protocol is sometimes also called an automated market maker. And so in the traditional sense, market makers are individuals or entities that provide liquidity for a trade, or they'll either buy or sell to ensure execution of trades and often make a profit while doing so. And this is how centralized exchanges operate. They use this method of trading, central limit order books, where buyers and sellers will place their bids and asks in in order to make a trade. And swap differs from this model because instead of executing trades through these, the Uniswap protocol executes trades against pooled liquidity. So in this model, in the Uniswap protocol model, users are actually trading against a liquidity pool of two assets that's managed by these smart contracts. And we call it a decentralized exchange in this way because no one person or entity really controls how these trades are executed, who can execute trades, or who can provide liquidity. What are the barriers in terms of who is able to interact with a decentralized exchange versus a centralized exchange? Yeah, oftentimes centralized exchanges can bar individuals or entities based on region or monetary status or wealth or things like that. And with the Uniswap protocol, it's deployed on you know networks like Ethereum and can be accessed by anyone regardless of you know status or age or wealth in any location. So I think that's the main idea there about that permissionless and decentralized and open access to the protocol. Love that. And definitely like plays into the broader ethos of DeFi in general. So I know that specifically your role at Uniswap is an integrations developer. So I'm curious from your experience and your perspective, how does a cryptocurrency actually get listed on Uniswap? And what does that integration process look like? That's a really funny question. There's actually so no real notion of really listing tokens as a centralized exchange may have to do. Like we said, because it's a peer-to-peer decentralized protocol, um, anyone can provide liquidity in two assets, creating a pool, which traders can then make swaps against, make swaps against. And so Really, there's no integration process there. If you want to create a pool of two of two assets that may not exist on Uniswap yet, you have the full kind of authority to do. And in that sense, these tokens will show up in the interface or app. Okay, awesome. I'm going to dumb this down a little bit. So bear with me here. Yeah. What does it mean providing liquidity to a pool? Can you break down that concept? Yes, totally. So 
providing liquidity to a pool is essentially allowing the smart contracts to manage your funds or your tokens. And so maybe we can start from the pool level. A pool is just a smart contract that holds two assets. So say token A and token B. And to interact with pools, there needs to be liquidity or some kind of amount of token A and token B in that pool. And so liquidity providers do just that. They provide the assets, allowing the Uniswap protocol to use their assets in this quote unquote pool. So to clarify, who are the liquidity providers? Yeah. So liquidity providers is anyone really. It's an, It could be an individual. It could be someone managing an entity's money. It's anyone that goes to the Uniswap interface or interacts with the Uniswap protocol and puts up tokens in a pool. Really, there's unlike in centralized exchanges where you have specific traders making these bids and asks in an order book, it really can be anyone that puts up money in a pool. Mm -hmm. I also know that there are multiple versions of Uniswap. Right now we're at V3. So can you specifically talk to me about the differences between Uniswap V2 and V3? V2 was the canonical automated market maker, and it really set the stage for massive growth in AMM or automated market maker adoption. Um, And V3 built on these same fundamentals of V2, and it allows for the same things, all of the same things that we just talked about, like liquidity providing and swapping. But we, it was designed with the intent to improve liquidity providers' capital efficiency, among some other improvements, which is a big word. And we can definitely dive into what capital efficiency means and why, um, you know, how, how it compares to V2 as well. Okay, yes, would love to dive into that. Yeah, the first and foremost among the improvements with V3 was capital efficiency. And capital is efficient when it's being used to earn profit. That's essentially what I mean when I say capital efficiency. And in V2, oftentimes what would happen is that liquidity providers, these you know individuals or entities that put up tokens um, to earn fees, their capital wouldn't actually ever be used. So you would have capital sitting around not really helping accrue fees or make profit. And so V3 was designed with this idea that capital could be allocated in a better way, such that liquidity providers could use less capital and earn the same amount of fees, if not more, in certain strategies. And for example, we can think of something like a V2 stablecoin market. Most of the time traders are, in these markets, most of the time traders are um, swapping between very narrow price boundaries, meaning that the price is very consistent and unlikely to change in these markets. In V2, capital is allocated across the entire spectrum from zero to infinity. So a lot of that capital is being unused and hence inefficient. And just for maybe a little bit more of a tangible example, in the V2 DAI USDC pair, which is a stablecoin pair, around 0.5% of LP capital is allocated between the ranges like 99 cents and a dollar and a cent about. And so that basically means the majority of capital is untouched, not being put to earn fees and therefore not efficient. 
And so V3 changes this by allowing liquidity providers to set specific price ranges at which to provide liquidity. So now in something like a DAI USDC market, you could be providing $1,000 between just the ranges, 99 cents and a dollar and a cent, which is really cool. And that is all done, like we've talked about, with the overall goal of increasing capital efficiency. And to increase capital efficiency basically means to make more money off of your money. Yeah, or just put your capital to better use, essentially. So you could, right, like liquidity providers may be putting up less capital now in V3, but earning the same amount of fees that they would in V2. The success of this has been very clear in kind of the numbers of with V3 doing more daily volume on than V2 on less liquidity. So I would say like V3 has about 3 billion in total value locked. So that's the liquidity locked in the protocol. And it's doing 1 billion in volume approximately every day. Whereas V2 has more total value locked at about 4 billion and is doing closer to half that volume. So around 500 million. That's awesome. That's a huge success. While there are a lot of successes to talk about with Uniswap, I think that it's also important to like recognize the challenges that decentralized exchanges are facing today. Not just Uniswap, but in general, decentralized exchanges. Like, What are some of the challenges? The first thing that comes to mind for me are high gas prices, for example. So would love for you to dive deep into that. Totally. Yes. And I will touch on high gas prices. But I think for me, one of the, the big things that comes to mind is wider adoption. So this includes thinking about accessibility and usability of DEXs. And this is clearly not just a problem for DEXs, but rather for Web3 as a whole, but something that we think about a lot. And really to achieve what DeFi and crypto promise, like we need broader adoption. And so the current state of the ecosystem, there's not really, there's still a lot to do in making these products accessible to a global audience. At Uniswap, we see this as being like a really massive opportunity to one, grow the protocol, to bring in new folks as users, as liquidity providers, and all the while growing the entire ecosystem, entire Web3 at the same time. Another big challenge that's like somewhat tangential here is bringing separate actions of a crypto experience together. So what I mean by that is when users interface with Web3 applications, they're often interfacing with many different ones and in many different and disparate ways. And the the problem here is how can we bridge all of those interactions in a cohesive and seamless way? And that's a huge area of exploration and another one that I think will help onboard the next million users. But I think going back to what you said about gas prices, that's definitely a huge challenge today, especially if we're onboarding new users who might be somewhat surprised by the prices people are paying to execute transactions. And I think that from Swap Labs, how we're thinking about it is really scaling is going to really help this a lot. And also we've launched the protocol on other L2s, so Optimism, Arbitrum, and recently Polygon. And so I think we're going to see a lot more users head to these other um, networks too, which will be really exciting. I love what you're saying about increasing accessibility in crypto too, and that's something that we're going to get to near the end of the episode because I know that you do a lot of work personally there with SHE-256. 
So you touched on a lot of good points. We started talking about L2s and I think that translates directly into what are some of the potential solutions and what solutions is Uniswap specifically working on. So would love to hear more about why L2s are important and specifically as it relates to Uniswap. So L2s are really important and something we noticed early on with a lot of this kind of feedback about gas and transaction costs. And with V3, when we actually announced V3, we announced a launch on mainnet and a launch on optimism. And since then, there's been a growing kind of interest in getting, you know, Uniswap protocol on other L2s. So Arbitrum happened next. And then most recently with governance vote, Polygon, Uniswap protocol was launched on Polygon, which is really cool to see. And I think what's interesting about L2s is we're going to see different kinds of applications on L2s because you can do more interesting things since gas costs are lower. But yeah, I, I think that answers your question about L2s. I think I can also talk about potentially like other solutions and things that we're working on, especially with regards to accessibility, like I talked about before, if that's interesting. Yes, would love to hear that. We're always working on improving like how users interact with the protocol. So this could be through our current interface or through exploring other products and workflows that might improve the overall experience. I, everything that we build new or improve that's old, we really have access as like a central focus. I think that's really evident in the precedence that we set with the Uniswap interface today that is used by a lot of other interfaces as well. But I think what's cool is that beyond this kind of consumer and user facing work, Labs is also emphasizing a lot of developer facing work. So developer tooling, support, docs are all like super important too. And in fact, like very symbiotic with the consumer and community facing work that we do. I like to think of it as a positive feedback loop. So the better the overall experience on the consumer front, the more liquidity, which attracts developers. And in turn, developer integrations drive further volume and liquidity, which then attracts more consumers. And so you get this really beautiful, positive feedback loop that drives exponential growth to the protocol, brings in more users and more people into the crypto ecosystem and Web3 as a whole. And so on both fronts, I would say user and consumer, we have, uh, so user and consumer and developer, we have various projects and initiatives stacked up for the remaining of the year. And I think also, you know, what you said in the last two responses to how can we create a more frictionless experience for users? And I think that will also usher in a lot more, bring in more mainstream adoption of crypto too. So while we're on this train of community in DeFi, so Uniswap had a pretty historic airdrop in September of 2020. Generally, I'm curious, what role do you think airdrops play in DeFi in the Web3 ecosystem at large? And for those who may not be familiar with what airdrops are. Could you just explain that at a very basic level? I guess first off, an airdrop is a sort of token drop to addresses. And I guess in this context, we'll talk about Ethereum. And for the Uniswap airdrop specifically, it was addresses that had interacted with the protocol in some way. So going back to this notion about airdrops and community, I think that Web3 and crypto is really about giving ownership to users and people who are truly invested in the success of the protocol. And yeah, I think airdrops are exactly that. It's a standard way to give ownership fairly and equitably to users. 
And Swap was one of the first to do that and set that precedent in DeFi, which has been really cool to see. So based off of that response about the role of community at Uniswap and in DeFi in general, you you talk a lot about the community as being owners in this concept of shared ownership, I think is really critical to crypto. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to explore with you a bit more the Uniswap's grant program. I think that's something that really sticks out to me and the significance of it. Yeah, the Uniswap Grants Program is just a great example of something that's really arisen from the community wholeheartedly. And yeah, for those who don't know what the Uniswap Grants Program is, it funds community-driven projects that support the Uniswap protocol. So far, there have been about six waves of grants given out to date, and we have another There's another wave approaching soon, so wave seven. And I think after this wave of grants, UGP would have funded around 96 or 97 projects for a total of around like $5 million. So pretty cool stuff, I think. It's a great example and and a great showcase for what can happen when you have an idea and a will to execute within kind of the wider Uniswap community. And then just to clarify there, so who is able to apply to the Uniswap grants program? Anyone can apply to the Uniswap Grants Program. Very easy. You head over to their website, fill out an application form, and are evaluated based on is this something that might uplift the and support the protocol. There's also a, a website up for requests for projects and, and things that people have written down and would be awesome to see happen. And so if you don't really know where to start, but are looking for something to do with the Uniswap protocol, that's also a great place to look. Um, It might get your ideas flowing for how to contribute. I love that. That's such a cool idea. And that's a lot of money to be sending out to the community to help them build their projects on top of Uniswap. So that's incredible. Loved hearing more about that. So a big thread through this conversation, I feel like, is access. And it's really cool to hear about how Uniswap really access and inclusivity and accessibility are centered to what you guys are building. Like we had talked about a little bit, you also do a lot of outside of Uniswap work with SHU-256 in this area. So for those of who, for those listeners who may not know what SHU-256 is, could you please just like describe it? And also what was the Genesis story behind it? Like, why did you guys create it? For those who don't know or have never heard of SHU-256, it's a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to kind of breaking down barriers to entry in the blockchain space. So really the goal was to increase diversity in the space. And from that, our fundamental belief was those building these systems, those building crypto and Web3 should really represent the global diverse population because ultimately those are the people that are going to use these very applications. And yeah, I guess for the Genesis story, my co-founders and I started this organization as really, it actually started as a conference. So we had a couple of conferences in Berkeley that highlighted various prominent women in the crypto space at the time. And from there, there was really honestly like a, a product market fit. Like we saw so many people that wanted this community, even you know after the conference had ended. And so decided to make it a full-fledged nonprofit and start up 
other initiatives beyond just conferences. Specifically, what kind of initiatives are you guys engaging with at She256? One of our famous initiatives is the mentorship program. I think this is our third year of doing mentorship, which has proven to be quite successful and something we'll definitely continue to do. But essentially, mentees will get paired with someone working in crypto and have various one-on-ones with them throughout. And what's cool is we've seen some really cool projects come out of it, and or we've seen mentees get jobs from meeting their mentor, working on something with them. But I think something new this year that I'm excited about is our governance initiatives. We were allocated some tokens or delegations on Compound, ENS, and Uniswap. And really the goal with this initiative was to get more underrepresented voices in making decisions about protocols. And so far we're formulating a team from, you know, within Sheet of 56, but with also within the wider community to vote on proposals, but eventually start proposing our own for the various protocols. That's so exciting. Have definitely been keeping track of all that you guys have been doing around governance and just super excited for you guys to be able to have a voice in these different protocols. And like you're saying, it's important that we have a diversity of different perspectives represented in the buildup of this technology, because at the end of the day, technology does have an opinion. And it's important that we're reflecting a large portion of the population as representative as we possibly can be. Exactly. Backing up for a second, we're both women, we're both working in crypto, and we're few and far between, (laughs) just state the reality. So from your perspective, what are some of the biggest barriers to onboarding women and underrepresented folks into this space? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think for one, it's the sheer vast amount of possible things you could start to learn when it comes to crypto whether that's DeFi, NFTs, DAOs, cryptography, custodial solutions, like there's so many rabbit holes to go down, it's hard to know where to start. Um, But I think building off of that, the second thing is that it's really intimidating to enter something new, especially if you don't know anyone else thinking about it or exploring it or even in crypto already. And like you said, it's very evident that men make up a large part of the crypto population, quote unquote. And so it's probably that much easier for men to also get involved. And that's what we sort of our hypothesis at Sheet to 56 and and structures some of the initiatives that we do, like our we release this kind of crypto 101 like guide to getting started in crypto, things like that, just to uplift quick start into crypto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you also bring up a really good point in terms of the being a relatively, na- well, I shouldn't say that being something that's newer to a lot of people, it's viewed as riskier, let's say. And it's really powerful to have a support community to fall back on as you're exploring, like you're saying, all these different rabbit holes and learning so much. There's so much to learn in this ecosystem. And it, it can honestly feel overwhelming. It's hard to too. keep up with. It's so, yeah. it's very hard to keep up with. So I really love what you guys are doing with the mentorship program. And I think that's really powerful. Um, curious, what are some of your other favorite projects or initiatives that are, you know, actively working to fill the gaps in this space? Because while Shoe 256 is an incredible one, I know that there are others too. So what what other places do you look to? Other communities. One that I really love is SheFi, and they've been like a really great supporter of us as well. It's also crazy. I think 
through running She to 56, I've met a lot of incredible women. And so I really get to lean on those kind of relationships that I've already made, which is something very special and unique to getting to build up this community of people. But I do think that there's something to be said about joining the She to 56 community and meeting like like-minded individuals who are doing the same thing that you're probably looking to do. And so we have a Discord and Twitter and Instagram, like things where you can get connected to people who are probably in the same boat as you and who hopefully maybe, yeah, have similar goals. Yeah, I love that. She256 Discord is such a pop in place. If you are interested <laughs> in getting in crypto, definitely check that out. And I just think that it's a really incredibly incredible initiative and has definitely made me feel more comfortable meeting people like you and others that I've met with in she 256 And I'm super excited to increase the representation here. And it, it, it's cool to see people like you working here. And then, you know, what you're learning at she 256 and working towards you're directly bringing back to Uniswap. So like we've been talking about those positive feedback loops, it really exactly. is all over the ecosystem. Sarah, it has been quite the journey. <laughs> We've gotten from really technical to more of the ethos. I really appreciate you taking us through everything. Want to leave space for you to plug yourself, any projects that you're working on? Where can people find you? I'm definitely pretty active on Twitter, so you can reach out. Just Sarah Reynolds on Twitter. It's probably my ETH handle. Twitter is everything in this world, so definitely get one it and is. follow Sarah. Thanks so much, everybody, and we'll see you on the next episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. Crypto makes no sense at first when you're trying to learn. And you need help when you're barreling down the rabbit hole. The only way out is through. The only way to learn is to do. We're here to guide you.